Welcome and thank you for listening to Clear Bible. Today we're taking a break from the book of Revelation if you're following in real time. And this is a, a message for the season of Advent. If, uh, if for liturgical churches, churches that follow the, the liturgical church year, uh, those are typically, you know, things like Lutherans and Presbyterians and Roman Catholics and, and, and churches that practice liturgy. There's some value to that. I, I appreciate some of that heritage that I have as a Lutheran pastor, but there's, there's some ways in which I think it is limiting and it sort of cuts you off from a lot of the Bible. But anyway, I always like to at least once visit the church season during the season of Advent because it's a great season. Advent allows us to use what's going on in the culture around us as we come up to Christmas. You know, there really is this excitement. There's this Christmas spirit that we have going on here. And the Advent season is a great way for us as God's people to make use of sort of, it's easier in the Advent season to focus on certain things and particularly to focus on the coming of Jesus Christ. So I want to use the Advent season this year. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. And the reason this is an Advent text, this shows up in all four Gospels. All four Gospels refer to this text because, and, and John does it in a little bit of a, you know, not, not quite so obviously, but he does, he does use it. He does sort of give uh, lip service to it when he says John was the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. But uh, the other three Gospels explicitly quote this text, and it is about the coming of Jesus. It is, it is an Advent text, and I want us to use it to help us focus our thoughts and our spirits and our minds and, and our hearts on Jesus Christ as he comes to us and and to use the Christmas season what's really the Advent season so let's pray before we do it Holy Spirit we pray that you would come and speak to us right now we love you we love your word and so use your word right now to help us to focus on you and to help us to receive more of you we pray it in Jesus name amen all right Isaiah 40 Chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. A voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight a highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up, and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. I have talked about biblical prophecy in the past. In case we have anyone listening who, who hasn't heard this, uh, I, I often think of prophecy or, or prophecy functions in a way like a distant mountain range. Uh, I live in Tennessee, Middle Tennessee. We're about three hours away from the Great Smoky Mountains, and uh, they're they're the Appalachian. They're part of the Appalachian, you know, big mountain range. And as we drive east towards those mountains, you come over a certain ridge, and then you can see those mountains in a distance, and and they come across as sort of a, you know, a dark blue ridge line on the horizon and it's one long ridge line that you can see as you drive up close to it 
and it, it looks like one long unbroken ridge when you're at a distance. But the closer you get, and when you actually start to drive into the mountains, you realize that they're not actually one long unbroken ridge. We go to a place called Townsend, and, and to get there, you have to wind back in this road, and this road winds around the very first big ridge of the Smoky Mountains, at least at that point, and then it winds around between some others, and you realize that what looks at a distance like one unbroken ridge is actually a series of ridges and some are closer and some are farther away but the farther away you are from the whole thing the more it looks like they're all the same distance away the closer you get the more you realize that some ridges are closer than others and I think this describes how biblical prophecy works and I've said this before but even if you've heard it again, I just want you to pay attention because it's relevant to this text that we are looking at today. So in this case, we had the prophet Isaiah, and he's prophesying during the time of King Hezekiah of Judah. And at that time, the big danger to uh, Judah was the Assyrian Empire. And they dealt with the Assyrians a little bit during Isaiah's lifetime, but he prophesied the, towards the future about the Babylonian Empire that was going to come and destroy Judah. And then after that, how Judah was going to come back, the Jews were going to be brought back into their homeland. And so Isaiah is prophesying about this, and that's about 200 years into the future at his, at his time. But the gospel writers also look at this prophecy and they say there's more to it than that. There's also, it's about the coming of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus comes along and he says, yes, I have come and I'm on earth, but I have to return to my father and then I'm going to come back again. And this prophecy is also about the return of the Lord at the end of all things. And so this prophecy has bits and pieces of, you know, a time that was 200 years in the future from when it was spoken. And then, you know, about 700 years in the future from that. And then who knows how long since then. And so we have all these pieces about it but again it's like this this mountain range the further back you are from it the more it looks all close together so isaiah didn't know that he was talking about uh he probably didn't know for sure which empire he was talking about he thought he might have been talking about assyria but it was babylon and anyway uh he, he had no idea you know he maybe thought he was talking about the messiah but he didn't know when the messiah was going to come and so on but the essential message for the people in those days in Isaiah, and then after Isaiah, to those people who were exiled and then returned from Babylon, and then to the people during the days of Jesus. All of them, all of those people were in a certain place in time that was very similar, actually, all those three points in history. And that was this, the, the great glory of Israel, the glory days were over. Israel was no longer the world empire that it had been in the days of David and Solomon. It was a third-rate world power. Uh, the one nation that David and Solomon had ruled had been split into the two kingdoms, Judah and the northern nation Israel. They fought each other. The nation of Israel eventually was destroyed by the Assyrians. Judah continued on for a couple hundred years. But the glory days were over in the time of Isaiah. And the glory days were over also in the time that Jesus came on the scene. They, Israel had briefly you know, had a, a period of independence after they returned from exile. And that's part of the prophecy talks about this. But then they were put under the thumb of the Greek Empire. 
and uh, well first the Persians and then then the Greeks and and then during the sort of the end of the Greek Empire period Israel once again regained independence for you know maybe 100 150 years and then that was gone again in the time of Jesus it had been about 50 years since they'd been an independent nation and they were once again just a poor oppressed people with foreigners ruling over them and so they're they're sitting around the glory days are over but here's this prophecy from Isaiah and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all mankind together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it that's from verse 5 something what these people on those three points in history would have heard this prophecy and thought something that was lost the glory of Israel is going to be restored now here's another thing too glory in the Bible especially the glory of the Lord is not just victory and success and triumph people throughout history have mistaken that but biblical glory is really all about the presence of God so let me rephrase Isaiah verse 5 here's how it is in our text today uh, and the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken Here's how I would put that in a way that, that sort of makes more sense to people. God's presence will once more be manifest among you. He will be with you in such a way that it is obvious to all people God has promised it. That's the promise of glory is the presence of God. And so, first of all, in the return from the exile, that was an amazing thing. It had never happened in history. To my knowledge, I don't think it's ever happened again that a people like Israel were destroyed and taken away, and yet they came back into their homeland. That didn't happen, you know, to the Sumerians. It didn't happen to the Hittites and the, you know, Jebusites and all them. They're all gone. But the people of Israel are still here, and it's happened again to them. You know, of course, in 70 AD, they were totally destroyed as a nation, scattered all over the world. And yet today, 2,000 years later, there's a nation of Israel. It's, it's, it's fantastic, and it's, it's amazing. Um, and I've totally lost my train of thought. But the, the point is, God's glory is more than just that. It's more than just that. They these people are being promised not just the return but they're being promised deliverance they're being promised god's presence and in the context of this passage when god is returning in isaiah he is bringing deliverance and salvation and of course he did that in a physical way when he brought them back uh, from the nations but he also is promising to do this in a spiritual way and that is of course the promise of jesus deliverance from sin deliverance from separation from god the healing of what is truly wrong with our hearts so this passage to isaiah says it's a voice in the desert crying out make way a path in the wilderness now let me give you some context for that in the days of isaiah the great caravan routes went from the river Euphrates where the the nation of Babylon was and there, there was a rich uh, fertile uh, valley in the Euphrates and the river Tigris there their empire Babylon was kind of between the two rivers and and there was there was wealth there there was civilization there remember there wasn't necessarily civilization all over the world and so the trade routes would come from there to Israel but in a straight line if you took a straight line from Israel to Babylon all you had was rugged, bleak wilderness. I mean, hardly a living thing growing. So instead, these trade routes, and also, by the way, armies, had to go north 
up into what is now modern-day Turkey and through modern-day Turkey over towards the Mediterranean and then down south to Israel. It was a big arc running up to the north and then coming back down in a big curve. That's how you had to get to Babylon. That's how you had to get to Israel from Babylon. It was this big, long, out of the way. So a, a, a journey that you know might have been 800 miles ends up being, and probably less than 800 miles, I'm thinking more like six to eight. Anyway, six to 800 miles, that journey becomes something more like 12 to 1400 miles. And so it becomes much longer. And what Isaiah is promising here is that suddenly that journey gets cut almost in half. And it's not going to have to go all the way around. God is coming straight across the desert. He's coming directly to us. He's coming by the direct route. He's not bound by the limits of caravan routes and traditional paths of men. So this passage, Isaiah, I mentioned before, is used in all four Gospels. And each of the four Gospels identifies John the Baptist as this voice who is crying in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. And, of course, John did his preaching directly east of Jerusalem in the desert area through which it is pictured that God is going to come. And, and John's ministry took things one step beyond the return from exile. The fulfillment of this passage, as one of the fulfillments of this passage, John is declaring that the presence of God would be manifest to his people and that God was coming straight to his people. And that promise was certainly fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Since the coming of Jesus and his ascension to heaven and the sending of the Holy Spirit, God is present within us in a way that he was not during Old Testament times. The exiles couldn't imagine God living inside them. They just wanted the glory of God, the presence of God back with their people. They wanted a, a new temple which they built. But but now, because of Jesus, God's presence doesn't live in a temple. He lives actually inside us. And so when, when John says, or when you know Isaiah says, he's coming straight to you across the desert, he's coming straight to you. Then when John says that, it means a whole new thing. And Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Each time, along with his promise of God's manifest presence, his glory, comes an admonition that we should prepare the way for the Lord. And so I think that this bears some looking at. How do we prepare the way of the Lord? And I really think this passage today is all about the human heart. There's a future fulfillment for this, and that is when Jesus Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead and to wrap up this phase of human history and create the new heavens and the new earth. But until then, this passage today, right now, is relevant to your heart and to my heart. He wants to come to you straight into your heart right now, straight into my heart. And the best way to prepare for the someday when he returns again to judge the living and the dead is to have him in your heart already today. Now, I want to make a couple of things clear. When, when John says, prepare the way of the Lord, we don't prepare in order to get God to come to us. And that's been a mistake that people have made throughout human history, and people today are still making that mistake. We think we got to get ready so that God can love us. we got to get it ready so that God can approve of us. No. You don't get ready in order 
for God to come. You don't say, well, he won't come unless I'm ready. He's coming. He's coming right at you. He's coming towards your heart. He is offering forgiveness. He's offering freedom. He's offering joy. He's offering to relieve the burdens of your heart, to fulfill what your heart most longs for. Whether you know it or not, what you most long for is the presence of God. And he's coming, whether you're ready or not. So get ready. That's the point of this passage. He's, he's coming whether you're ready or not, so get ready. You don't prepare in order to get him to come to you. You prepare because he is coming to you. So how do we do that? We can prepare by certainly learning God's word, by reading the Bible or listening to the Bible on tape, uh, by reading Christian books, by listening to sermons, by spending time with other believers, by telling other people about Jesus, by using your time, talents, and possession in the kingdom of God. But even more than that, as we get ready in our own hearts, John says something, he says, make straight in the wilderness a highway for your God. The wilderness is our heart today. That's what the wilderness is. It's a wilderness of sin. It's a wilderness of selfish stubbornness. It's a wilderness of pride. It's a wilderness of, uh, you know, keeping some things out because we think that we're not worthy. What John is saying and what Isaiah was saying is that we need to give God access. If we want him to come, he's coming, but if we want him to get in, if we want him to do these things that he wants to do and that he promises to do, we need to give him access. Let God come straight at your heart. Let him get straight to the heart of the matter, the heart of the issues that you have, the heart of the hurts that you carry and the need that you have in your heart. It's hard sometimes to be completely honest with other people. It's hard sometimes even to be completely honest with ourselves. We throw up twists and turns and deceptions and curves to sort of keep other people out from, from touching that real tender, needy, hurt place in our hearts. But the image is this, make straight the path for our God. Let him come straight at you. I'm convinced that when we make straight the path for God, when we give him unlimited, unqualified access to our hearts, our minds, and our lives, we will experience his grace and his love to such a degree that eventually we will be able to be more open with other people as well and more open with ourselves. And I don't mean you're going to be that way with every single person you meet, that you're going to let them have your deepest, darkest, you know, most tender place. But God wants to be there. And when he meets the needs that are there, we become healthier people. And it's, it's just a matter of saying yes to him. It's not about doing anything particular. It's about giving him permission. He's coming. So give him access. Say, yes, Lord, you can come into my heart. Look what happens when we do that. He says, every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places will be made plain. So what does that mean? Every valley will be lifted up. There are dark, deep places in our hearts 
places where we lack, places where we struggle with certain things, where we struggle with the lack of something that we needed and never got, something that's just wrong because we were born in sin, we were born diseased already. And there are places in our hearts that are deep and dark and they're, they're missing something and every valley will be filled up. God wants to fill up that valley, to smooth it out, to take out that deep darkness and that deep sadness and that deep hurt and fill it up. He's saying, give me access, make straight the path for me, let me in and I will raise up every valley. And then every mountain and hill will be leveled. And this is, I struggle more with the mountain and the hills than the valleys. Some people might struggle more with the valleys. The mountains and the hills, for me anyway, pride. I think I'm so good already. Uh, arrogance. Um, defense, you know, I got walls up. Every mountain and hill will be leveled. Because those things are obstacles to my healing. Those things are obstacles to my true, deepest self. Those things are obstacles to God. And if I let him, he will level those things out. Sins that stick out, bad habits, prides, ambitions that have nothing to do with God, he will take them out if I let him. And if I do, I will be a more truly joyful person. And by joyful, I don't mean that everything will go right with your life. I mean that your inside will be so strong and so grounded in God that it won't matter whether everything goes right with your life or not. Sometimes we badly need, and even sort of in a deep place, really want these things to be bulldozed, this junk to be bulldozed out of our lives. But we can't quite seem to do it ourselves. We don't have to. We just have to give God permission. Yes, Lord, level out the valley or the, the mountains and the hills, and the uneven ground will be made smooth. All of this is really a sort of promise. We're, we're told to prepare by making straight the path. We let God in. But when it says the, the, you know, the valleys will be filled up and the mountains will be leveled, it says they shall be. Every mountain will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be lifted. Every valley and hill will be lifted up. They shall be done. This shall be done, not by us, but by God, if we allow him. It is something that God will do for us, not something we have to do for ourselves. All that we have to do is let him in. Open up and say, yes, Lord, you have permission. So for instance, and let me make this really practical. You know, most of you know that I struggle with this deep, difficult, chronic pain. It's hard sometimes. And I have a choice as I deal with it. I have a choice to be selfish and to whine and complain and say, why aren't you helping me, God? Or I have a chance to say, Lord, I'm willing for you to do whatever you want to do in my heart with this pain. And I have not been perfect at this, but I think on balance, you know, maybe more often than not, I've been willing to let God do what he wants to do. This is not because I'm a great person. It's because the Holy Spirit has given me the power to say, okay, Lord, okay, whatever you say. And I, I can't describe to you, I really, I mean that, I truly can't describe to you what God has given me through this struggle with chronic pain, but it is so precious to me, the closeness that I have with him as a result of this. 
because I said yes, not because I did anything, but I just said, I'm willing, Lord, even help my unwillingness. I'm willing for you to help my unwillingness. And because of that, he has done certain things inside of me that are so precious and so wonderful. And the, the valleys that I didn't even know I have have been raised up. And some of the mountains have been smoothed down. It's not, it, the process is still going on. It's not complete. But all I had to do was say yes to Lord, to the Lord and, and to not stop him from doing this work. And all of this that I'm talking about here, the coming of Jesus to us, is essentially the promise of Christmas. Christmas is Christ Mass. You know, from old uh, Roman Catholic days, it's the Mass that celebrates Jesus Christ, Christ Mass. So what it is all about this Christmas season is about Jesus Christ coming to us right now. And so I want you and I want me to use this Christmas season, this year, to welcome Jesus, to give him access, to say yes to him, and to watch in wonder as he works in your life to bring you closer to him, to, to fill up the valleys, to level the rough places, to make your life a smooth, open access area for God, and to watch in wonder. All you have to do is believe it, and don't stop him. And you'll know, you'll know in your heart of hearts when you're stopping him. Pray for strength from the Holy Spirit to not stop him and watch what he does. So let's celebrate. We've got two weeks until Christmas. Let's celebrate the fact that Jesus is coming straight at our hearts. If we allow him, he will raise up the valleys. He will smooth out the rough places. And this is the big thing. He will bring his glory to us. That means his presence will be with us. The glory of God will actually dwell inside of us by the Holy Spirit, just as it, it did with Mary, right? She said, yes. She said, oh, okay, Lord, you can, you can have access. And his glory dwelt with her physically. Jesus dwelt inside her. But that's a picture of what he does spiritually within each one of us. His glory lives inside us, just like it did with Mary through the Holy Spirit. So let's give him the chance now. Let's pray. Lord, with all those who are listening right now, we want to pause and say, give, you have access. I encourage you, each one of you who's listening right now, say that to the Lord, you have access. You may come into my heart. I give you permission to fill up the valleys and the deep, dark places. I give you permission to make the rough places smooth, to, to level the mountains and hills. And I thank you, Lord, for your glory, which means your presence. Thank you that you are willing to actually live inside me I welcome you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for that. Amen. Use these next two weeks. Merry Christmas.